0: MNK Talk YA now presents Mask of Shadows Part One of the Mask of Shadows Duology by Lindsay Miller. k talk ya
1: i'm marissa snyder and i'm katie bradford and this is our young adult fiction podcast and this week we started a new series it is called mask of shadows by lindsey miller and there's two books in the series yep and we
0: read up to chapter 25 yes correct for this week so yeah
1: it was a really short read honestly it was only like
0: 160 pages or so i went through it super fast I did too, but then I also, I should have asked you for your notes, I think I was starting to get confused, because there's actually a lot of characters for how short it is, and part of me likes that a lot, because it feels, like, it's weird if you only, like, know three people, and someone's, you know, living their life and changing a bunch of stuff, but I also was, like, kind of getting confused between the different left-hand people, and the different contestants, and some of the, not royal, but, uh, noble people, I don't know, I was just having Mm -hmm. trouble keeping track of some of the names that I, I think a little bit, but... There's a lot of characters.
1: I was having trouble with the contestants because they're all numbers. And so, like, it's really hard to have, like, a picture in your mind when you're just like, okay, 1 through 23 or (laughs) how many there are.
0: Yeah. And how many do we have left right now? Are we down to 8? I think something like that. Yeah. Okay. We're down by a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is probably good. But, I mean, considering we want everyone else to die and... (laughs) I can't keep track of that many either. I thought numbers would help me, actually. I thought it was going to be, like, way easier to keep track of numbers because I'm kind of a numbers person, and I don't know. (laughs) But you're right. It was just hard to distinguish a little bit. Well, let's
1: talk about the general plot. What's going on in this
0: book so far? Because it's pretty
1: interesting, the premise. I I really like it.
0: Yeah. So it takes place... How many years after, like, this revolution or whatever? This... That
1: is a good question. Because
0: one of the things I kind of like about it is I feel like so many YA books that we read that are about the world changing are like the revolution itself. This one, I feel like it's, it's still recent history, like all these characters have been through it, but it's also like we're establishing the new normal right now. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, like the revolution already passed, kind of. Yep. Um, All we know is... There's, like, three main lands. There's Erland, Nacia, and Alona. And we know that Erland sent soldiers into Nacia, and some really bad stuff happened. There were these shadows that came about, and...
0: Did the shadows remind you of the verse? Yes! Yeah. The,
1: um, oh, like the... What were they called? The Volkra?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and we just know that these, sol- these shadow soldiers um, like, flayed people alive, and our, our MC is one of the only people who survived. Like, all of Nacia was destroyed.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like they, they were, like, the shadowy, not souls, because that implies something more meaningful, but, like, uh, they were looking for bodies. They were, like, the part of people that was left over, and they're looking for bodies, and they're, like, flaying people trying to get their skin or something, which sounds terrible. Horrifying. I hope we learn more about that. I'm sure we will. That's another part where I'm getting a little bit confused, but I also kind of like it because uh, our main character, Sal, is remembering things from before, seeing these shadows, and... Some of it's, like, affecting reality, like, I can't even think of the word I'm trying to say. It's, like, PTSD-ish almost, you know? And
1: Yeah, they have flashbacks. At first,
0: I was having trouble distinguishing reality from memory
1: as well. Right, 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 because, well, the main character, Sal, we know that they're the yep. only person who survived, or one of the only people who survived the war, whatever, but they have flashbacks yep. of their siblings. So Shay um, was one of the sisters yep. um and you're right they're they're coming in like during hallucinations. So I really hope we learn more about like what exactly went down during this war and like how the magic fits into it. Because there's something about like the new queen was the one who like rid the world of magic and that's what trapped all the shadows. Mm-hmm. And that's why Sal is like, really drawn to the Queen. So the Queen, like, basically rid the world of shadows. But, like, how... Are, I really want to know, like, how were they created? Like, how does magic fit into this?
0: Yeah, and there's, like, a handful of people who know the magic still. But they're all right. on the Queen's side now. So they shouldn't ever be recreated, but... Who knows?
1: And there is a mage. Rodolfo was a mage who created the shadows,
0: apparently. Um, yeah. That's where I started getting confused. <laughs> I, like, can't tell the nobles apart, especially which ones were good and bad. I don't... I should have just taken notes better or something, but even, like, I kept being, like, is Erlen the good one? is the bad place. The good place or the bad place? Like, I kept even getting confused <laughs> about, like, which group of people we liked and didn't like, which is so bad. And I, it was on, I don't think it was the writing, I think it was just me.
1: It was a little confusing, though, I agree. Because I had similar problems. But I think the Erlans were the ones who led the Shadows through Nasia. And then when the Queen destroyed the Shadows, there were, like, a handful of Erlans who remained loyal to the Queen and, like, kind of switched sides.
0: And Sal wants revenge on those people or on a different group of Erlans? Yeah. Okay.
1: Sal wants revenge on the people who are, I think, responsible for leading the, the war. The, the, the Erland people who are responsible for, like, leading the Shadows through Nacia. So Horatio del Steve and Sean de Pao, are the two people who Sal wants revenge against.
0: Okay, so then there's Elise, who is Sal's tutor for part of this, who they also stole from oh, right. at the beginning. And I was confused. So, so Elise is an Erland, but not necessarily related to the Bad Erlands?
1: I think she was the daughter of one of the Erlands who like switched sides and um, sided with the Queen. Okay. And And then we have the left hand, who – I love this idea –
0: yeah, I li- I like how they're all named after jewels too and like represented by the rings mm-hmm. on the queen's actual left hand or whatever. I think that's kind of a cool analogy.
1: So there's Ruby,
0: who is the only man and he
1: I don't really have a lot to say about him. <laughs> he has like a secret thing going on with um that other lady, Isadora the Pharmacist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. the physician. Or not the pharmacist. <laughs> the yeah,
0: pharmac- physician. I don't <laughs> I like I said, I'm I am so bad. I am having trouble keeping track of all the characters. So And is Ruby the one who was teaching the swords or who is that?
1: Ruby was the one teaching like
0: etiquette. But what about in the first round?
1: Oh, in the first round, uh, wasn't that Amethyst? Oh maybe. So she's like super skilled fighter. So is Emerald. Emerald and Amethyst are the other two left hands and I mean they're all assassins. They're all just like super badass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're all assassins and they're leading the auditioners through these set of trials essentially to like see who's going to be the next left hand, the the open position which is Opal. So that's kind
0: of like the setup. Yeah, and let's talk about the competition for just a second. Yeah. Because, so there's 23 people. They're all, like we said, referred to by their number, not their name anymore. So we're trying to gather some intel about their background based on things we're observing or whatever, but they're basically fighting to the death. Just the last remaining person Intestant. becomes Opal.
1: But the, the interesting thing about it is since they're auditioning to be assassins, They have to kill all their competition, but they cannot be caught doing it. And if they're caught killing or if they endanger someone else in the process, they're immediately disqualified. So that puts like a really interesting spin on things. Because there was like a couple moments where Sal was like at breakfast or was like walking down corridors. And I was like, oh my God, I'd be so nervous. Like someone's going to jump out and kill me. But then I kept remembering like if anyone is around you, no one's going to kill you because you cannot be seen doing it. The whole point is to be stealthy and, like, sneaky about it.
0: Yeah. Which is a cool... And it makes sense given the role they're competing for. But it's also interesting because by that logic, you just have to... It's almost like you have to be a better survivor than you even have to be an assassin. True. Because, like, if... Say there's two people left at the end and one of them killed, like, 20 of the people and one of them killed nobody. (laughs) But, like, I mean, you know, it's just like last man standing or last person standing is the winner but but they're also
1: being like heavily observed so like they have lessons and they're allowed to skip lessons if they feel like they're you know competent enough to to skip them so I feel like the other left hands are observing them so I don't know if they if they basically tried to you know sit everything out and just be the last man standing I wonder if they would view that as like too cowardly. Like I wonder yeah, if they would be pissed. if they hid
0: the whole time. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, that's fair. I mean that would
1: be my strategy personally. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how like the first round of tests were really designed to like test their stamina and like their strength. And it was all about fight learning fighting skills and, you know, honing your your physical strength. Mm -hmm. And now the second part is, like, etiquette. So they have to, like, you have to be really deadly and good at fighting, but you also have to fit in at court and, like, be able to dance and use the right silverware at a ball. And I just like that there's that duality. And
0: navigate the politics. Yeah. (laughs) Right,
1: right. I'm enjoying uh, reading about the
0: competition a lot. I am too. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious to see as we go into, especially if there's more phases down the road, like, how they play out. Because to me it kind of makes sense to have, like, the the physical competition for this role like I sort of understand how that plays out I'm really curious to see what happens now that we're you know trying to fit in at court and mm-hmm. whatever comes down the road later just because it's a little bit less obvious to my imagination what that competition looks like
1: yeah and like what's gonna happen between Sal and Elise now that they're like she's being a Sal's tutor and there's definitely some chemistry between them so I'm curious like how that will affect things.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm also not sure if they're both playing each other. Yeah. Or or if they're both attracted but in denial and pretending to play each other. Like, I I sort of think Sal has real feelings for Elise but hasn't admitted it, you know? Right. But Sal hasn't admitted it, so I'm curious how it plays out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I also think Elise does, too. I think Elise has feelings for Sal. Yeah,
0: and and I don't know if Elise has real feelings and knows it or has real feelings and also hasn't admitted it, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, I agree. And I love Maude. Is that her name? Oh, yeah. Sal's servant. She's like my favorite character so far. She really is great. I'm excited to see how that kind of alliance plays out going forward. So that's Sal's servant. I think she was referred to as the servant once and said, no, I'm actually something else. I forget the title. But essentially her servant as assistant oh. who she's responsible for getting clothing and preparing baths and fixing food and stuff. Cleaning the room and that kind of stuff. So and
1: mm-hmm.
0: Maud raises up in society if Sal wins. So there's some incentive there, right? But yeah, I don't know. Anyways, but Sal doesn't trust
1: her really. I mean, there's there was so much mistrust at the beginning. Like I love how Sal kept. Sal doesn't trust anybody. Like she, oh no, and for good reason too. But I like when they took the um the mice. Oh yeah, and what? <laughs> and they were like feeding the mice food before they would eat it because they were convinced that they were going to get poisoned by pretty much everyone.
0: Well, it was also interesting (laughs) because that was something that Sal said they didn't know much about was poisoning, right? So I feel like that made Sal even more nervous about it in some ways. Mm -hmm. But it was also cool to see Maude kind of like get on board and be like, oh, wait, the food covers are left out. I'll make sure to wash it from now on. Like starting to see
1: what Sal's thinking
0: about and play into that.
1: And you can kind of see them starting to become
0: allies, exactly.
1: which I really like. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's really kind of important about the main character is that Sao is gender fluid. Yep. So they identify as sometimes woman, sometimes man, depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first book I think that we've read that has featured a gender fluid MC.
0: Yes. And I would say it's the first book I've read with a gender fluid main character, period, not just for the podcast. Yes. I agree. And one thing I really like about it is that's definitely a part of the character, but it's also, I think, cool that it's not, like, the story, right? It's just, it's an aspect of the main character, but it's not, like, a a how-to-be-a-gender-fluid person in this environment. It's, uh... Story about an assassin competition, and the main character is gender fluid.
1: Exactly. And I like how... I think the author, Lindsay Miller, did do a good job of how Sal kind of gets a little bit on guard about Mm -hmm. when people ask about their identity. But I really love their answer when they said, address me how I look. I'm both, I'm neither, I'm everything.
0: And I also like that people are asking. Because I know it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but that is really the... I think if you're not sure ask. you should ask kind of yep. thing. And then ask. if you've asked, remember it and don't assume. <laughs> you know, respond appropriately. But yeah. but yeah.
1: And you know, sometimes they wear a dress, sometimes they don't, sometimes they wear pants and it's just however they're feeling in the moment and that's how they like to be addressed. But I, I agree. I think um I think it's handled well. I also like that it's not the main thing about this character. They have lots of other really interesting traits that the author chooses to focus on. So I like that it was incorporated into the book, but I thought it was, you know, I like the way in which it was incorporated.
0: And I thought it was interesting because I actually was curious about Lindsay Miller and if she identified as gender fluid or non-binary and Mm -hmm. she does not. So that also made me interested in the research method she used. And, you know, there's always a lot of, I think back and forth between, it's good to have diverse representation in your book, but also being careful about representing a group of people that you don't identify with and possibly doing it disrespectfully,
1: if that makes sense. Exactly.
0: I actually didn't read a lot of backlash, not because I don't think there is any as much as I didn't specifically look into that itself. Did you happen to see anything if people are, yeah, she did a good job, or why is she representing a gender-fluid person if she's not (laughs) gender-fluid?
1: I read a couple interviews with Lindsay Miller and I think the way she talks about it is pretty interesting because she definitely acknowledges that and she said, you know, she spent a lot of time talking to a lot of very, a a lot of people about gender and, and representation and she said she specifically did not want to write a book that focused on gender because she, felt it, she said it would have been disingenuous coming mm-hmm. from her. So I think what she did was good. She talked to people and she listened to them. But she did say that she still goes back and forth about whether it was her place to to write about it.
0: And I always have torn feelings about that. And not just in this particular instance, but I also, I was at like this author event the other day. And it was, I think a white person was talking about a story they wanted to write from a, Vietnamese American perspective but feeling like it wasn't Mm -hmm. their story to tell and you know it's always like kind of Mm -hmm. this interesting like what stories are yours to tell and which ones aren't and how do you do it respectfully if it's you know not something that you personally experience but also I think being an author and having that creative outlet is good but how do you do it justice and represent Mm -hmm. it well and and, like I think there's a lot to that question so
1: I think you're right and especially just like what it means to be an ally right so if you're positioning yourself as an ally When should you stand up and speak, and when should you sit down and listen? You know exactly.
0: Yep, I think that's a beautiful way to put it, actually. So
1: yeah, I think that's at the heart of a lot of questions. It also, interestingly enough, we're talking about this the week that Taylor Swift's music video came out. (laughs) Calm down, which I think raises a lot of good points. Like she included so many celebrities in that video, many of you might identify as queer, and but she, at the heart of it, is you know a, a straight cisgender. Woman, mm-hmm. and so I think that also raises a question of like, what does it mean to be an ally, and what does it mean when you put yourself at the center of something like that? Yep. Yeah. But then again, you know, a lot of celebrities who were in it spoke up about how proud they were to be part of it and how much it would have meant to them to see something like that growing up. Um, you know, when they were coming out.
0: Well, and like for better or worse, Taylor Swift has a huge following and a big platform. True. So how does she use that responsibly? Yeah you know, is, I think, a question a lot of celebrities have to deal with, so.
1: Yeah, because she is in a position where she could evoke a lot of change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think putting that call to action at the end of the video was a great idea.
0: Um, yeah, so
1: it's an interesting question. Um, I love that Lindsay Miller included it, but like we said, there's a lot There's a lot more going on in the book. It's not focused on gender. Um, at the heart of it is the assassin story, and that's what Lindsay Miller said she was really fascinated about. She studied biology in college, she said.
0: I did read that. I heard she was like planning to go to medical school and had been for a long time and like was in her doctor interview or her interviews for med school and someone was like, it seems like you should write a book instead. And that was what sparked her to even consider being an author. (laughs) I love that.
1: Like when the interviewer is telling you, I think maybe you want to be a writer, not a doctor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. And
1: she also said she spent a few months interning at a crime lab, which I think would be super fascinating.
0: It would be, except I would be terrible at it, (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) But it's, I'm excited to see that continue to influence how, especially with people dying and things happening to people's bodies, like how her medical background and crime lab background plays out those scenes, you know, I think, I think it's a really cool. I love when authors have you know, it's great when an author's wanted to be an author the whole time, and you can do, as we've done in our podcasting, you can do a lot of random research without ever actually touching different careers. But I think it's really cool when people end up as authors after exploring different mm-hmm. stuff and seeing how that plays into their writing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And like, I liked how she is very interested in the idea of an assassin being a hero. Like, that mm-hmm. she said that idea was at the center of the book when she started writing it because you know if you think about it like ruby and emerald and amethyst are all these like really kind of badass people who right now we're kind of admiring and looking up to Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day they kill people for a living but it also
0: does feel like there's like some moral code to it which i mean yeah again they're still killing people at the end of the day but it's not like if you pay me enough i'm gonna kill whoever you you know it's not like an assassin for hire role there is like some kind of you know greater calling at least at this point it seems like to it but I I mean we always talk about this I love when like the villain is good or the good guy has some bad parts you know like it's just Mm -hmm. it makes it so much more interesting Mm -hmm.
1: yes 100 percent. so I think so far so good I'm enjoying it so far
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm interested to learn more about the queen and the alliances that are happening
0: well I'm curious too because again we have a duology we're already down from 23 contestants to eight contestants in my mind, by the end of this book, this trial is over. I'm guessing Sal ends up as Opal, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Sal survives somehow if they don't become Opal. And then I'm curious where it goes from there.
1: <laughs> I know. It, I, exactly. I'm, I'm thinking the shadows are going to come back. <laughs> because, like, do you remember there was that moment where they were tied to each other and they had to, it was like a test. The race? and The race, mm-hmm. right. The race and three is attacked, and Sal thinks that three is taken by a shadow, but really five was the one who killed three, but five peeled the skin off her, and so Sal kind of basically saw this person flayed, and like in their minds, you know, took over the rest and conjured this scene, but I think the shadows are going to come back. I think that was like a little bit of foreshadowing that they're not completely died out.
0: Well, it kind of makes, sense a little bit to it's like what would be the purpose of introducing this if it doesn't tie into the future of the book more Right. And I think maybe they won't necessarily come back but I think they're definitely tied into future villain roles so whether it's the threat of them or someone pretending to be a shadow or it's the actual shadows I think it's safe to say that this is not the they're not gone completely or they're not <laughs> done with the story. Agreed. But again you were talking about five is, five is kind of like the bad contestant even though we are against all of them and yeah four is kind of our friend contestant if you will Mm -hmm. if we assume we're in the main characters side and like getting all trying to sort out all these personalities and how I feel about them but then thinking like in my mind like I said I'm assuming that at the end of this book someone is Opal probably Sal (laughs) if I had to guess right now and yeah, all those characters are gone. So what? Like, it's just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, because you're well, you're either, you're either dead or disqualified from the competition. Those are the only two ways you leave. So. But it
0: also sounded like if you're disqualified, I think Sal said this at some point. They were like, I doubt that anyone can talk about this competition afterwards even those that are disqualified will be Hmm. i don't i feel like sal was implying that even if you're disqualified you're going to be killed off eventually but maybe that was me just reading into things darker than i needed to but that's true technically right now someone could be disqualified can someone quit I think so. Okay. I don't think you're
1: there, like, against your will.
0: I'm guessing if you've made it this far, you're not going to quit, but... Right. I was kind of thinking at the beginning, someone might, after, like, seeing their first person die and realizing how real it was, that someone would, like, get up and leave or something. This but... isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just well, going to go back to the circus or whatever. like not like, of them circus, circus acrobats? <laughs>
1: they were circus performers. I love that. <laughs> And it's so interesting. They all have different backgrounds, and like some are noble, some are not. I mean, Sal was working for a gang at the beginning. Yeah, that was kind of nuts. though when they cut off Grell's hand as like proof of why they should be allowed to audition, that was like that was very barbaric.
0: <laughs> Especially considering, yes, Sal had been fighting and stuff, and like had a violent background, but had never killed before. So, yeah. and then to turn against someone so close to them is kind of a dangerous, like, that w- That was kind of a cool, crazy scene. It was a big person to take out. Yeah. yeah. That actually inspired a lot of my research.
1: Ooh, let's hear it.
0: So, when Sal, what's his name again? Grell? Grell, yeah. They then cut off the hand as, like, proof that Grell is dead because his fingerprints will be in the system or whatever, and Sal has to travel across the country or whatever. So, I was <laughs> looking into different things about amputated body parts being preserved. I don't know how I fell into this hole. <laughs> but, okay, well, heres I also was really interested in the poison stuff because um, there's a couple of references, like we said, between Sal and Maud in terms of preventing the food from being poisoned and then now right. we're starting to get into training with poisons and yada yada. But then I started researching some things and I was like, I have researched this before. So not everything oh, with poisons, okay. but something that I – so anyway, so then I went on this amputated body part thing. which so first I have some useful information for you should you ever lose Lose a part something and maybe want it to be reattached to like so you may think that you just put it on ice but that actually can damage the tissue so Uh if for example your finger gets cut off and you're going to the hospital and you want to see if it can be reattached what you should do is Wrap it in gauze, moistened with saline or salt water. Hmm. Place the wrap part in a plastic sealable bag, and then put the bag on ice. Oh, I always heard put it in milk. Well, is that not right? That might also be good, but that's what that's what I read. But then I was also so there's a lot of like famous people who still have preserved body parts around, which I didn't realize. What? So for example, we have Galileo's finger. You know Galileo, right? Like the
1: I dressed up as him for Halloween one year when I was little.
0: <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Fun fact. Yeah. That i had a awesome. telescope and everything. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, he's the astronomy, <laughs> modern physics, like science guy from back in the day. Do I know Galileo? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's his middle finger, and it was <laughs> removed by Anton Francesco Gori in 1737. Just a big
1: F U to Copernican.
0: <laughs> It's on display at the Musea di Storia Scienza in Italy to this day.
1: That's so cool. I would love to
0: see that. How could they prove it was his, though? I don't no know mean, for I sure knew. for most of this stuff, especially because okay. supposedly this finger was cut off, like, 90 years after his death. Whoa. So, and
1: why was it removed? Just as, like, a
0: That's memento? That part I didn't get... <laughs> So there are okay. some where, like, the person requested things would happen. So there's this guy, uh, Major General Dan Sickle. He was a Union general in the Battle of Gettysburg, and he he sounds like he was actually, like, not the brightest general. <laughs> so he saw some high ground in front of his troops, and he ordered them to move, like, a mile away, which was less defensible And the whole troop section was, like, decimated because of this choice. Oh, And in the process, his leg was hit by a cannonball and shattered and was eventually amputated. But now his leg and the cannonball are on display at the American National Museum of Health and Medicine. Oh, my God. Because at the time, the Army Surgeon General, I guess, was putting on a display of morbid anatomy caused by projectiles. And he, like, remembered it and sent his leg. Whoa. This, one, this is another one where someone wanted their body part. Yeah, poser. I was going to
1: say, there are instances where they were just taken without consent.
0: Yeah, there were some of those. But this See? one is also interesting. So this okay. guy, Del Close, who taught people like Stephen Colbert and Tina Fey and a bunch of other kind of big comedians... His final request was to have his skull donated to the Goodman Theater in Chicago so he so it could be in Hamlet. Oh my god, that's so cool! And I guess his creative partner tried everything they could to make it happen, but no medical organization would allow them to separate the skull from the rest of his head.
1: Why? For various
0: ethical concerns and funding reasons. So... Unfortunately, oh. it was cremated. But I thought that was kind of a cool story. I don't that know. would be
1: so, I mean, I, that's super morbid to think about, but that would be so awesome to have your head as a prop in a play.
0: I agree. I think it would be, I mean, like, if that <laughs> was, like, a thing you wanted, if you requested that, not if someone just did that to your skull, but...
1: Yeah. And it would also be kind of weird for people who knew you to handle
0: it. Like That's true. I don't know, that might totally weird. Especially them out. if they like knew the person. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay, what are some other good ones? There's so George Washington, when he died, the aunt of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow asked for a lock of his hair. So in eighteen fifty they the aunt enclosed the lock in a gold locket and eventually gave it to the Maine Historical Society. Aw. And there's a lock of George Washington's hair. Oh, that's cool. Um, let's see what else we have. That's a little
1: innocuous at least. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Albert Einstein's brain. So, Oh, I know that. Yeah. yeah. Hit the, when he died in the fifties, this, the Princeton hospital, Took his brain, extracted it from his body without permission from his family because they wanted to examine it and like figure out, you know, why is this guy so smart and whatnot. And it's been, it like basically hasn't even been examined very well. It sounds like, but
1: oh. was it ever returned to his family?
0: I don't know. I think it's on display somewhere. Oh, no. Yeah, let's see where it says. Um, later it was discovered. Oh, so then it got lost or was stolen at one point. And then in 1978, it was refound. And now it's at the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C.
1: Okay. This is reminding me of the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, like when they stole her cells. Yeah,
0: that's a good book. In 1882, there was this man, I don't even know his name, and he had a <laughs> disease called Hirschsprung disease. And I guess it made him extremely constipated. Oh no. <laughs> and that's actually he died on the toilet from extreme constipation. But the scientists preserved his colon. It's a nine oh foot colon, which what? has more than forty pounds of fecal matter at the time of his death. No, which forty I how, pounds. I don't know if that's one hundred percent true, but that's what this article says. So,
1: oh, my God, could you imagine walking around with that inside you?
0: No, I can't. Oh my that God, that sounds terrible. What a terrible like, way to die! Like just that's like six babies. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know oh. much about this disease, but I do not want that one. Um, what are some other interesting stories? So there is another head that was preserved. Diogo Alves. Have you heard of him? No. He was a Portuguese serial killer, and he was the last man to be hung in any country to be hanged in any oh. country. And In any country, interesting. That's what this article says. So he, when, when he was, was that caught? Um, I actually don't have a year. Um, he was caught after his gang murdered over seventy poor people,
1: oh, and
0: no. after he was hanged, some local scientists asked for the head because they wanted to look into like the psychology of a serial killer. Mm. And, you know, what makes people do that? I feel like it
1: must have been recent. Looks
0: like he died in 1841.
1: That was the last person hung in any country? So
0: we should have probably doubled... Don't we know this rule? If Katie says something, take it with a grain <laughs> of salt, because she doesn't double-check all of her facts.
1: Okay. I just feel like the last person hung would have been way more recent than that. So Like, legally hung as execution.
0: Yeah. But I think they did get rid of it relatively... This just says... When... To one of whom the last subjects of the death penalty in Portugal was applied. But I don't know Mm. about the last hanging in any country on this article. Okay. So take that with a grain of salt, people. But if it's a trivia question and you have no better guesses, I'd say put it down. (laughs) That's where where I'm going to leave it. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) I'm Googling it right now just because I'm interested. 1936 was the United States last person
0: hung. So not any country, but I think still in Portugal. Okay. How's that sound?
1: A much more civilized country.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of some of my fun That was so interesting. About body parts and preservation. (laughs) And being preserved.
1: (laughs) Um, I was a little nervous when you started talking about poisons because... I researched poisons this week, and I know we've talked about it already.
0: Well, we've only talked about some things, so it's totally, there's lots about poisons we could talk about, but I had, like, researched the exact same. I was, like, reading, I was like, I've read this article for our podcast before. Anyways, tell me what you learned.
1: Well, I specifically researched poisonous plants. Okay. Just because, yeah, Sal was, like, very concerned about being poisoned, and Emerald's teaching them about poisons now, so it features heavily in the book.
0: And we did go to the garden for the poisons right now, right? True,
1: yes um okay have you ever heard of mad honey
0: no but i don't like the sound of it
1: (laughs) (laughs) so there are certain types of rhododendron flowers that have a nectar that contains a natural neurotoxin called gray gray grayanotoxin grayanotoxin
0: oh of course grayanotoxin
1: (laughs) grayanotoxin And so there's like 700 different species of rhododendron, and only two or three of them have this neurotoxin in their nectar. Okay. But it's really um, common in the area around the Black Sea uh, in Turkey. And there was this honey that um, was made that was made from these flowers. And in small doses, it was used to like treat different ailments like hypertension and diabetes and stomach diseases and in the, 19, in the 1700s actually people traded this honey to Europe where they would mix the honey into tea to give or, or mix into alcohol so that people could get high essentially but if it's taken in large doses it can bring on lightheadedness, nausea, and severe hallucinations.
0: Okay. Um, it can
1: also slow the heart rate considerably, considerably, and cause numbness and blurred vision and seizures.
0: Is it actually good in small doses, or people just used it in small doses back in the day to treat stuff?
1: Um, I think. Well, I mean, I think it's like any kind of natural. Okay. Yeah. Um, substance. Like, I think, yeah, in small doses, it's probably really fine. But back during the first century BCE, there was an invasion. Uh, into turkey led by roman soldiers and when turkey was invaded the people were super smart and so they put out chunks of this honeycomb
0: oh, okay um
1: along the path they like lined the path that their invaders were traveling with honeycomb and so the roman soldiers picked up this honeycomb and they were like whoa look at this hot free honey <laughs> and they mixed it into their drinks and essentially, the Turkish people won that battle because all of the Roman, all of the Roman soldiers, like, were decimated because they all were suffering, suffering these really severe hallucinations. They were like incredibly weakened before the battle and the um turkish people emerged victorious so i thought that was kind of interesting that's
0: really cool and smart of the turkish people but also hey roman people if you're invading someone don't (laughs) think they're gonna leave you gifts behind like what exactly (laughs) like offerings (laughs) of honey as you're invading
1: our country like come on oh man so i thought that was kind of interesting and there's other cases of you know people using plant toxins as weapons okay this is interesting so there is a tree that's called the suicide tree.
0: Okay, that doesn't sound good.
1: <laughs> no, in the Indian state of Kerala, it is thought to be responsible for around fifty deaths a year.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about this tree about this tree is that um, it was used in the past as as part of trials. So basically, it was kind of like the thing where if you were accused of something, you would be given this poison. And if you survived, you were innocent. But if you died, you were guilty, but also dead. And no one really survived, so...
0: <laughs> Sounds like a witch trial. This
1: happened in um, Madagascar. Okay. And um, It is estimated that around 3,000 people a year died in these trials. Wow. And it was finally abolished in 1861.
0: That's crazy. So what, is the, what does it do yeah. to you?
1: Um, so the seed of the fruit is really, really poisonous and it uh, disrupts the heart's rhythm.
0: This is why I would never survive in the wild, because I would not be able to keep track like which parts of which plants are safe to eat and which ones would definitely kill you.
1: Well, that, they say that Abraham Lincoln's mother may have died by accident as a result of drinking milk that was tainted with toxins from the white snake root plant.
0: So who tainted it, just like when the milk was produced? I think it just happened, yeah,
1: it just happened by accident. Like, the cows ate this plant, and then it was secreted into their milk, and um, she died of what was termed milk sickness.
0: Ooh. Yeah. That is interesting to think about, like, because we eat and drink and, and take so much stuff that's gone through, like, some other animal. Yeah. And stuff may not affect them, but could affect us, and yeah. Ooh. Did you see pictures of these plants? Like, do they look poisonous? No, a lot of them don't.
1: A lot of them look, like, pretty uh, innocuous, actually. Like, they look, Well, actually, okay, so one of them is, um, so you know the castor bean plant that produces castor oil?
0: I mean, I know what castor oil so is. So it's, like, a
1: vegetable oil?
0: Yeah. I don't know what the plant looks yeah. like.
1: Yeah. So the seeds are a source of one of the most powerful plant toxins on Earth. It's called ricin. It's more potent than cyanide. What? Or any, or any snake venom.
0: Is there any risk of something happening in our castor oil
1: no because it can only the toxin can only affect you if it's inhaled or injected interesting
0: that's also so interesting about the human body how different things it's like touch or consumption or intravenously or inhalation yeah Mm -hmm. what's
1: interesting though is if you somehow come in contact with this plant the symptoms begin usually Longer, it usually takes longer than a day or two for symptoms to occur. So sometimes it can take as long as five days for a victim to die because it's like the symptoms just take a while to develop. But once they do... So it's, it's hard to know that's what,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know that's what causes it. But once they do, you usually have um, kidney failure, internal bleeding, severe abdominal, cramp- abdominal cramps, and vomiting. But interestingly enough, this uh, toxin... Was developed as a biological weapon in World War One and cold in during the Cold War. Huh. So um, it it was it was like essentially
0: weaponized. Well, it sounds like a good weapon, I guess.
1: Yeah, but terrifying.
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: Oh, this Not is on me, please. It, it also says that most recently, um, ricin was used by the by Soviet secret agents to murder um, a dissident, a Bulgarian dissident, Georgi Markov, and they used a poisoned umbrella tip
0: a poisoned umbrella Uh (laughs)
1: uh-huh A poisoned umbrella tip oh my goodness there's just there's so there's so many like there's one this is kind of interesting there's
0: a um can't drink milk can't stand by people with umbrellas good thing i'm out in arizona suspicious of anyone with an umbrella (laughs) there's um a rose there's a type of
1: flower um that is called an italian ass killer (laughs) (laughs) Because it it um creates a combination of cardiac and gastrointestinal symptoms. It's oleander is the is the plant. It's a type of oleander.
0: Do you watch Riverdale? Whoa,
1: I have seen episodes of Riverdale. I watched the first ep- first whole season.
0: I just finished season three, and I was like at a point where I was like, I don't even want to watch this anymore, but I just have to see what happens. But there is some poisoning mm-hmm. with oleander in it. That's all I'm gonna say. Really. Um,
1: Oh, I think
0: that's also why I was wanted to research poisons because I was like watching this show where this there's a lot of people being poisoned. But
1: they said that just 3.5 ounces would be enough to kill a fully grown horse. Wow. Yeah, that's how deadly it is. So yeah, that was just um, some of my research
0: on toxic plants and why you should avoid them. Sometimes I think about like how many different ways it is that someone could kill me, and I'm like, it's <laughs> like. If someone wanted me dead, I feel like it'd be really easy.
1: (laughs) Well, I would just think, like, think how paranoid you would be if you were in Sal's position. Like, no one is safe. People are given the green light to kill you any which way they can. You've seen these horrific deaths so far. I would be peeing my pants. You have no
0: allies and no friends here. I'm really curious to see if we see... Was it Rudy? Or what was... Sal's friend's name from before, or partner's? Oh, Wrath. Wrath. Yeah, that's right. Ruby is the, yeah. Um, I'm curious to see if Rath comes back into the story at all later.
1: Me too. I kind of hope, I kind of hope he does. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways.
0: No wonder Sal is not sleeping, and even even when the rules say things like, you know, you can't kill anybody tonight, or until tomorrow after breakfast or something, mm-hmm. I'd still be paranoid. Oh
1: my god, me too. And, and how are you... And they're not sleeping either, like, Sal can't sleep because, you know, someone's gonna break into their house and try and kill them, so not only are you doing this, you're doing this intensely sleep-deprived.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing they got the one night where Sal did sleep, but yeah, I can't even mm-hmm. imagine, like, the physical strain and the emotional strain and the, like, yeah. And then on top of that, and lessons all day. It's like and- the
1: Hunger Games.
0: Yeah, it is. It does kind of remind me yeah. of The Hunger Games. It's
1: like The Hunger Games, but you can't get caught.
0: And and you're right. That is a cool aspect, but that also makes me more nervous because it's not like you want credit for your kills. So if someone did kill you at the wrong time, as long as they weren't caught, how would they even disqualify someone?
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: I mean, like, it's not like anyone. I mean, no one should hopefully want to break the rules just in case anything, like, they don't want to be disqualified, but it still makes me nervous, like, I don't know.
1: It seems like that people have to have a certain amount of honor, right, to make it through. I, yeah, I don't and know. I think... It's, it's like the whole question of, like, can an assassin be honorable?
0: I think that's what they want. Like, I think Ruby, yeah. Emerald, and Amethyst are looking for someone, again, who, like, they could trust down the road. Oh, I'd want to win just so I could work with all of them. I know. Well, I'd want to win just so I wouldn't be dead. And that.
1: Yes. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, that's not the number one reason i want to there's win. There's <laughs> already some
0: good incentive there. <laughs> but it's also interesting because yeah. it is all volunteers. It's not like they're taking criminals or yes. kids who didn't have any say in it, like in the Hunger Games or whatever, right. and saying fight to the death.
1: Agreed. That makes it much more tolerable. But still,
0: yeah. There's still 22 people who will be dead at still the end of the It's or whatever. Yeah oh so should we keep reading and see what happens yeah i'm excited and again it's only a duology so you know they always go pretty quick i think so it'll be Mm -hmm. as soon as we're used to all these characters especially if half of them die um we'll (gasps) be on to the next one
1: and hopefully get new ones new characters
0: cool um do you have a joke for me i do so my dad was in town this week for and i saw him for father's day oh happy father's day yeah and he gave me a couple of jokes so these are dad jokes from my dad. He didn't make <laughs> them up, dad. but he, whatever. Okay. So this one's a grammar joke. A,
1: oh, I love grammar.
0: A colon can completely change the meaning of a sentence. For example, Jane ate her friend's lunch. Jane ate her friend's colon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Isn't that dumb? Then the 40 pound colon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what also made me think of it. And then there's one more for you. Where did okay. Noah keep his bees?
1: oh in his hive
0: in the ark hives (laughs) oh i was close (laughs) that's good anyways those are some dad jokes for you and we don't have to do anything because we're partway through a book right i'm always i feel like there's always those checklists but we need to figure out how to balance it better when we're at this stage maybe but all we
1: have to do is keep reading which is great finish the book for next week
0: or send us some dad jokes or tell us how you preserved a body part, or whatever.
1: Oh, wait, no, this is... If you came in contact with a poisonous plant. What? I forgot.
0: Oh, we forgot to mention. Oh, yeah. It's our 100th episode. I forgot about that, too. Was that what you were going to say? No, it wasn't. I was going to tell. But, yeah, it is our 100th episode, which is crazy. I was just counting our books, because I have them all in their own bookshelf, and I have... 52 books in our bookshelf right now because i have a bunch of the short story oh collections God. and i have this series already and stuff it's crazy it's my bookshelf's almost full yeah
1: 100 i know Oh, i know and it was like hard going through the podcast to like count actual full-length episodes where we discuss books because we have like you know a bunch of other episodes posted too so it took me so long to go through <laughs> and like figure out what our 100th actual episode would be but
0: yay happy 100th episode happy 100th episode to you we still haven't figured out what we're gonna do to celebrate but we'll let you know. <laughs> okay. So this is what I was going to say when I was like, Oh yeah, I just remembered. I guess if you have something amputated in a lot of places or removed from your body, whether it's an amputation or something else, there's like, sometimes you can keep it and sometimes you can't.
1: <gasps> oh, did you get, did you get to keep something?
0: No, I did. I, so I'm really mad. This isn't even a body part, but I had, uh, I was in a cast on my arm, it was like, so I broke my arm right below the shoulder kind of, the humorous bone, yeah. but my cast went from like inside my elbow to inside my wrist. I could like bend all of my everything. It was just like a really heavy cast and it like held the weight in place mm-hmm. and I really wanted to keep it. It was purple and sparkly and <laughs> I didn't let anybody sign it or anything. I'm just a weirdo and I'm like borderline hoarder probably, but my mom wouldn't. I want to look like I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> my mom wouldn't let me keep it, but when they cut it off me they were like it's the cleanest cast we've ever seen and then I came home Aww. and I found out my dad had a cast from when he was a kid still and I was so mad that my dad hadn't taken me to get my cast off but
1: yeah and your mom let him keep it but she didn't let you keep yours well probably Unfair. I don't
0: know if my mom knew that my dad still had the cast <laughs> it's probably my grandma's fault to be honest I would want to keep something
1: if it got removed
0: but yeah so I guess as long as as long as your it doesn't have some kind of disease like, a virus or a bacteria, then usually Mm -hmm. you're allowed to keep things. So I guess there was some guy who this man served his friends tacos made from the flesh of his own amputated leg.
1: Oh my god, that's revolting.
0: Yeah, and then I was reading, have you read, um, Calypso? David Sedaris.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Um,
0: but he wrote, he had, I don't even remember what it was, but some kind of like lump that was removed from some part on his body, and he wanted to feed it to, or it wasn't even his body, or no, it was his Oh, body. I remember hearing yeah. about this. He wanted to feed it to what, like an alligator? Or turtle, something? yeah, like a snapping turtle. turtle. But the turtle was dead when he finally brought it over, or whatever. But was, I was, I think that's. That's totally something I would do. I just went on these weird tangents. Well, yeah, and now I'm like, why didn't I think to ask for my gallbladder or something?
1: Gallbladder, I was going to say, yeah. Or my
0: pancreatic stones. kept it in a little jar yeah. on your shelf, on your bookshelf. <laughs> Knowing, like, me, I'd, like, knock it over and...
1: Yeah, and, and Toby would eat it. <laughs> I don't know,
0: something bad would happen. So it's probably good that I can't... But if you if you got to keep something from a surgery, I want to hear your story, so...
1: Me too. I wish I had gotten to keep my wisdom teeth, but I think they were, like, shattered when they took them out.
0: Ooh, that sounds like it wasn't good.
1: No, they were really in
0: there. (laughs) I do have a bunch of my baby teeth still. I, like, had this plan (gasps) to keep them from the tooth fairy and give them all at once to get more money at one time. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but instead I just have them all in a jar somewhere.
1: I have mine too, and it's really disturbing. (laughs) Like, it looks like something out of Daughter and Smoke and Bone. Yeah, it's...
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay we're creepy piles of teeth
1: <laughs> if you have other creepy stories to share with us um you can email us at m at gmail.com or you can follow us on instagram and facebook at m and
0: bye bookworms go get a library
1: car <laughs>